I think at this moment, this podcast, uh, working with Katie, I think it's a, uh, we can just uh, not inspire the people, but at least uh, we can exchange ideas and uh, share some uh, uh, stories. Welcome to the first episode of the Asian American Forward podcast. I'm your co-host, Katherine Simpson. Joining me today is my uh, co-host, Don Sun. Hi, Don. Hi, Katie. Nice to see you. Yeah, so I'm going to introduce Don. Don came to the U.S. as a student from uh, mainland China, and he's developed a passion for politics um, ever since then. So inspired by his work uh, for the 2020 presidential candidate, Andrew Yang, um, he established Asian American Forward, which is a, a political action committee that supports Asian Americans running for public office at different levels all around the country. Um, so before we get into our topics this week, um, we wanted to introduce ourselves to the audience and also um, introduce the podcast. So Don, could you tell us sort of the story of AAF and why we're starting a podcast this year? Thank you, Katie. And I think it's uh, most time based on my experience in the United States. Uh, I have a pretty good audience in Chinese community and the Chinese American community. And uh, I have done some uh, radio talk show and the book review, but uh, and I think it's the uh, most uh, first generation immigrant from mainland China and some Asian American here should get more involved in the politics and also involved in the community. And uh, uh, I think at this moment, this podcast, uh, working with Katie, I think it's a, uh, we can just uh, not inspire the people, but at least uh, we can exchange ideas and uh, share some uh, uh, stories. And especially in my past, like uh, 20 years in the United States, I've been working very closely with all levels of politicians and help them to campaign fundraising, run the election, and also involve a lot of a community service, some charitable works that can, can be shared with all our audience. We are not here to educate people, but we come in here to share my personal experience, your personal experience, and uh, we can have a, form some dialogue and then inspire the people and the pro and promote the community service, especially during the uh, 2020 election, and also focused uh, in the next uh, two to five years, it's going to be very challenging. But I think it's the, whenever society have some chaos or it's a conflict, it's time for us to remind people we are one of a citizen. Yeah, as you pointed out, 2020 has certainly been an unusual year with the pandemic and a presidential election. Could there possibly have been any more going on this year? So with that said, we're gonna get right into our first topic for today. Um, so the most recent presidential as election, as you know, um, was, uh, 
uh, there was a lot of misinformation. So that will be a segment that we'll discuss later on um, in the podcast. But we wanted to get started looking forward to the year ahead in 2021. Um, of course, Joe Biden will assume the presidency. Um, and so we wanted to take a look at Biden's cabinet picks and how AAPI um, voters might be impacted by that. Um, so as of our taping, Biden has announced his picks to lead the State Department, Homeland Security, um, and he's continuing to fill out his cabinet and other positions that he'll be appointing for. Don, uh, which picks stood out to you as particularly significant or important? Uh, honestly, I'm a little bit disappointed for the current uh, name announced for the cabinet and also uh, announcement for the White House staff. It looks like uh, my impression for the transition team and the future cabinet looks like uh, Obama term three. So it's uh, there's a lot of old people coming back. And uh, if you want to have uh, some uh, solving the challenge ahead, I think it's the uh, new blood and the new ideas should be in the cabinet. But at this moment, I didn't see any a particular person or personnel has been appointed. And for the API community, and you know, it's, I can only share the story from my perspective and also from my experience. Uh, you know, during the campaign trail, we have been on the backstage in the green room and before the debate and after the debate, we have a, a lot of a, um, the opportunity or occurrence uh, to talk with uh, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and the other candidate. And I know I witnessed exactly how Joe Biden treated uh, Andrew Yang. And he tapped the, the Andrew's uh, shoulder and said, if I was elected as the primary candidate for the Democratic Party, the first one I'm going to call you. You know what that means, okay? Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, nothing happened. And also, it's uh, uh, Biden has said his administration going to be the most diversified uh, the cabinet. But at this moment, uh, we didn't see that trend. We see a lot of old face in the, a lot of people, lobbyists in the Washington, D.C. has been appointed. That kind of things uh, make uh, uh, Asian community a little bit nervous and not very, very happy. Uh, during the campaign, we have been do a lot of fundraising campaign and in the seven battleground we have formed the word margin for victory the api mobilized all the swing states api community coming out to vote for Biden. that's kind of a achievement and we hope Biden can realize the asian community is emerging political power and in the cabinet we hope that kind of a representative can be there you know, in the Congress, uh, API caucus is uh, called the CAPAC, mm -hmm. Asian Caucus. Here is uh, Judy Chu, Vice Chair Grisman. We have been asked by Biden's uh, transition team to consider the Asian uh, leaders to be appointed. So far, I think uh, there's a trade representative, uh, Catherine, uh, Catherine Tai, has been appointed. This is uh, number one. Mm -hmm. But uh, for measurement for API community, we're looking for a comparison with the Obama administration. Obama has been appointed for Asian in his cabinet. 
so far I will only see one. The second one, I see if the trend go this way, probably the second one is uh, maybe pick up uh, Chris Liu. Chris Liu is Obama, is a law school alum, the, the alumni. Mm-hmm. And oh, so he also, went to law school with Obama. Yes. Yeah, and, classmates. Uh, he, yeah, he is a classmate with Obama. And also he's a White House um, the chief of staff temporarily and also lead the Obama first term, the transition team. So he later appointed as the deputy uh, secretary of the labor department. And now he's uh, uh, Chris in charge of the labor department assembling the, the team. So it's, uh, I personally expected Chris maybe the second Asian uh, leaders in the cabinet. So far, that's the what we got. Yeah. So as you pointed out, Biden has gone with a lot of established names. Um, I'm particularly keeping an eye on the women who were picked, but still in there, not a lot of surprises. You have um, for Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who's well known around Washington as the former Federal Reserve Chair. Um, She may have been more of a strategic pick since she is well liked on both sides of the political aisle. It seems like a pretty safe choice for confirming, um, of course, because as we know, um, the Democrats currently have a majority in the House, but it's up in the air for the Senate who will be confirming most of Biden's picks. Um, And of course, also, as you pointed out, Catherine Tai was chosen as U.S. Trade Representative, um, which would be another first. As an Asian American, she would be the first woman of color to serve as the U.S. Trade Representative. And she she potentially has a lot of important work to do going forward if she ends up being confirmed um, with uh, kind of trying to cope with the legacy of Trump's tariffs and trade war on with um, China, as well as um, she was highly involved in the passage of NAFTA. Um, so she's potentially got a really interesting uh, four years ahead of her. So how is uh, Kamala Harris um, feeling as a VP pick, especially with an older president who, <laughs> it's not something you want to speculate about the president dying in office, but it there certainly is that potential that we could be seeing a President Harris in the next few years. Yeah, there's uh, two uh, different angles to view this issue. The first uh, is uh, in the modern uh, medical condition, it's, uh, I don't expect that Biden going to have something happen uh, physically in his uh, first term. So it's that I think it's a uh, it's a possible, but the, the chance is very slim. Uh, second thing is uh, the minority and the combination of a ratio is uh, uh, the profile of her that of a campaign decision to pick her up at the VP to secure the presidency. In, in that perspective, I think it's, uh, there's not too much political risk, even something happened and the Kamala Harris become presidency. And also, uh, Based on the Kamala Harris the background, and I think it's, uh, he knows he she knows law very well, and also she's a senator, and she know how to work on the uh, Capitol Hill. That kind of things give me some uh, um, confidence. Uh, whatever that happened in the Democratic parties within Democratic Party, always the, in the entire nation, it should be pretty safe safe card to play. Oh. Uh, the worst things for the Kamala Harris to deal with, it, I personally feel it's an economic crisis, and especially when pandemic going to be 
uh, extended to another three months, six months, the housing market and the employment is going to be becoming worse and worse. And uh, if something happened, Kamala Harris to pick up the presidency, uh, economically, it's going to be devastating for most American people. That's the, going to be the most challenge for her. Uh, I think uh, she has a background on the law and uh, the political system, but economically, and uh, I think she needs a lot of assistance from his uh, people around her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so certainly a lot that we don't know yet about the um, how the Biden administration will pan out. Um, but we wanted to take this opportunity um, also to look back on the previous election. So fake news and misinformation has been an ongoing story, taking off in particular from the 2016 presidential campaign. In 2020, more than ever, combating misinformation is so important um, because at this point, it's not just political misinformation anymore. We've also seen the negative effects of false information with the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and it's become such an issue that the, the New York Times has a live feed on its website that I like to check sometimes that debunks viral misinformation. Um, but I've been reading some really interesting reporting um, about what happens when misinformation occurs in hundreds of languages targeting various first-generation um, immigrant communities. So uh, Terry Nguyen, a reporter for Vox, kind of pointed out that the challenge of combating uh, fake news in Asian-American communities is it's so difficult because it's hard to track and debunk, particularly because misinformation is being distributed in so many languages across so many different um, platforms. So Don, uh, given your experience working with um, various immigrant communities, I wanted to ask if you saw any patterns in this past election cycle. First of all, it's, uh, uh, it's all coming from a fake news. That term is defined or it's raised by uh, Trump or it's exaggerated by Trump, but uh, actually it's, uh, there indeed is some fake news in reality. And it's also, it's a uh, uh, Republican credit some to the mainstream media as well. That's the on the one part because it's a, we have experienced exactly what we're facing during the presidential election for Andrew Yen. Times, different times, mislabeled Andrew's name and uh, mislabeled the, the picture and put another pictures on the Andrew and also internally, there's so many documents say we are not going to report any campaign news of Andrew Yen. That kind of thing is what we all experienced during the past uh, campaign years. That's the one thing. So it's uh, from one side, my personal experience, I can say it. The second, the Fox News the emerging like uh, almost 20 years ago, and uh, he's uh, very, very focused on opinion or especially on the right-wing the opinions and every anchor commentators they have a very strong opinions on the politics on the social issues but you know it's a uh, all media they also driven by the financial interest so when fox news is a raise the, the the bar and become a number one the network the people realize if you only tell the truth all facts, 
you cannot generate enough money from your advertisers. So it's a, they have a trend that people start to look and put an opinion there. And then you can find the more extreme opinions or more polarized opinion is going to drive more audience to your particular the, the uh, media platform. That's the kind of things is a start from there. But uh, my political experiences tell me most of my colleague or friend, they got the news. It's totally outrageous and true or impossible. The, and, but they have a, done some story making and spreading in the community. Especially, you know, there's the many first generation immigrants, they rely on Chinese media. So they have some of their bias. They sometimes they delete some news, sometimes they don't delete some news. Anything support or trumps the, the, the news or fake news, they don't delete it. Something is that they think is a pro-democratic party, they can label your socialism, your communism, and then they delete it. So it's the in probably the, in one year, two years, if you're the the uh the information source is all coming from one side, you become the, the uh, echo of a chamber. And then the, you only can receive one side story. I try very hard to listen both sides, the, the make sure it's the, uh, we can hear what my opponent is saying, and then it's on our side. We try to get the first-hand information. If something happened in the Supreme Court, just go to Supreme Court the, the uh, website to find the truth. And also, anyone blame mainstream media as the fake news, I want to ask them, if you don't believe billion dollars a company that have a thousand reporters and do diligence report, and there's some fake news, in fact, but uh, Overall, 19% or 80%, they report the truth. Of course, they have a lean to the liberal. Most uh, the the news uh, media, they lean to the liberal. But you know, this, this society, if you want to make a progress, the liberal is going to lead the trend. Conservative, conservative are trying to maintain the value. They try to hold the society, don't go too fast. That's the, the my understanding. So it's the... In the next 10 to 20 years, my expectation is a new kind of a self uh, facts check, small self media, and with some integrity people and the smart people, intelligent people, they can emerge gradually from a community. And also some uh, very talented people, they start looking for finance, uh, where the money going to coming from, how to fund funding, how to fund the, the community-based media. Like uh, we have a, do the uh, investigation polling and see how many people they can go to the city council's uh, uh, meeting, go to the school board meeting, write a report. Even you give, give a student $100, they can write a pretty good report for one particular city council meeting or school board meeting. That one is going to be the trend someone going to use a non-profit organization to fund the reporters, like the volunteers or the freelancers to fill the vacuum most the traditional media or reporters uh, 
they cannot fulfill at this moment during the financial crisis or the media crisis. That's my understanding for the fake news. Yeah, well, we've had um, definitely the news media landscape in the United States has really evolved over the last couple of decades with local news becoming also harder and harder to find quality local journalism and harder to fund um, quality local journalism. I was just seeing on Twitter the other day that Report for America, which is a nonprofit that funds uh, local reporters is launching like hundreds of new positions this year. So hopefully um, there's, there's the motivation out there in the world to, um, uh, produce quality, quality, factual information, and also um, for readers as well. Um, so are there any kind of particular platforms or sources that, that you really noticed, oh, this is like a, a hot spot for misinformation that uh, voters and just general citizens should keep their eyes out for? I think it's, a, you know, it's a, both you and I, we got a lot of information from a political, from a, the, the the Expedia and from uh, Hill, from uh, the the, uh, the uh, PBS, those kind of things, uh, the media, I still uh, believe like a 90% they're telling the truth. So that's the, uh, the source. I encourage people to go there. And uh, some fake news or some uh, not very true or exaggerated, give extreme the, the uh, self-media, I think it's a... Uh, Whenever the time passed, you when you go back to turn whatever the report or story they have written, they have a report. Even they can generate a temporary a lot of audience or the the group of people to follow them. I think it's the, in long run, truth will be stick out from the fake news. So it's the whoever have some uh, the fact check and the, with a professional integrity is going to stay. Uh, to emerge out sooner or later. Okay, well, um, Don, thanks so much for joining me. Okay, thank you. Thank you. And yeah. uh, I'm glad to talk to you. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. Cut. <laughs>